Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.app slash breadbox. So take me to the fountain by seek. It's welling up, it's welling up in me, me. well doing well just kind of checking out to make sure everything's coming up good to see everyone uh so yeah so i've been working out a lot lately i was telling you about that before um getting back in shape this is actually it's kind of crazy i've for years i've always been an athlete i've always played sports but i never actually legitimately trained um even when i was like a division one athlete i didn't really train effectively and so I have for the first time a trainer that I'm working with and I'm actually learning how to exercise. It sounds kind of crazy when you're 40, but I, I, I didn't know, I didn't know how to properly exercise. It's not just form. It's like how to, how to push myself in a, in a reasonable way. So the workouts are, I mean, they're not super intense, but they're pretty intense. They're they're And they're, I mean, I definitely am tired every day and stretch myself, but yeah. yeah so everybody experience. who plays bingo with us, you need to put in the, the trainer square. <laughs> yeah train so it's a new sports analogy of training <laughs> oh yeah i mean it is i mean and i mean i talk a lot about for training for holiness and uh, i mean and the, the principles they're there whether it's your spiritual life it's your exercise life it's a, it's a similar dynamic which is stretching yourself mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. but i'm um, excited for all the inspiration gonna be yeah awesome. heck yeah heck yeah man um so all right uh do you want to jump into the reading or well, how's your, you, you did a retreat with some ladies, right? Yeah, it was awesome. We, we had a great time, a lot of bonding. Um, we, we d- went into really deep talk topics without it being really planned. So it was, it was really great to allow those conversations to grow naturally and to really grow in knowledge of one another instead of a, instead of a, like a directed planned, like we have this much to learn this weekend. It was just mm-hmm. community, you know, in the, in a year of not having community very much yeah. you know it was necessary in in that level of foundational where'd you guys where'd you guys go by the way oh, only like the next town over to like just would you like stay overnight did you stay overnight yeah. it was an airbnb mm-hmm. oh cool yeah so it's kind of like a spiritual version of a lady's vacation so yes. instead of you guys going to vegas you spent the day praying and reflecting and... Yeah. yeah that's it's a catholic version of vegas Kind of. <laughs> we did play games. <laughs> but it was fun. But um, it, was, it was really nice to um, just kind of leave everything staring at your fa- in your face that you have to do, you know, and mm-hmm. just 
be able to rest and i i have at times held a dream of like starting a monastery and that would be pretty cool to have a monastery where you had a guest house like that where people could come and stay yeah a retreat house that sounds awesome yeah um all right, you ready I to get have into a the reading? That's not, that's not in the cards for me. Yep, jump in. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. We're going to get into the temple. Yeah. And then the right. connection of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which we were just, I was just talking about and um, for Immaculate Conception. Jump mm-hmm. in. All right, so the first reading is from Second Samuel. Mm-hmm. When, the King Dave, when King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies on every side, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God dwells in a tent. Nathan answered the king, Go, do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. That night, the Lord spoke to Nathan and said, Go, tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Should you build me a house to dwell in? It was... It was I who took you from the pasture and from the care of the flock to be my commander of, to be the commander of my people, Israel. I have been with you. Sorry, I lost my spot. I scrolled. Mm -hmm. I have been with you wherever you went and I have destroyed all of your enemies before you. And I will make you famous like the great ones of the earth. I will fix a place for my people, Israel. I will plant them so they will not, so they may dwell in their place without future disturbance. Neither shall the wicked continue to afflict them as they did of old. I will, since the time I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also reveals to you that he will establish a house for you. And when your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up an heir after you, sprung from your loins, and I will make his kingdom firm. I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall stand firm forever. Cool. Okay. So, um, so I mean, there's a, I have one, I have an idea of a direction where you take this, but do you have a direction in mind? Did you have something in mind? The direction in mind is the King. I feel like King David had, has a similar temptation that we have is, I must, I must do for God. And, and his see, that, that, is, to me really is his, is the Lord is saying like, no, I did this for you, you know? But here's the thing though. Here's the thing though. Would, would the prophet have spoken what he's spoken if David didn't strive? So that's an interesting dynamic, right? Like, I think it's uh it's uh how do I, I'm trying because there's think a difference that, between like our desire to want to make sure that we do well for God and do good. There. I think it came out of a good desire. Um, but he looked at what he had and said, Oh, I feel like I have more than God. I need to make sure that God, you know, I'm doing something, you know, I'm providing for which, God. Which was, I think it was a correct impulse. Um, the, the, the thing was, was not now, um, the answer was kind of like, not now your son will do it. And then and right. he prepares for it. Mm-hmm. And then he receives these promises. I, I think, uh, like the desire pattern, was right. Yeah. But, but God was like, no, I gave these things well, to you and I will make sure that what yeah. I need is taken care of. Yeah. I know what I want to say now. I got, I got, I got okay. I'm putting it for you. So there was an interesting, I was, I was watching a, a video when I was in math class in high school about um, chaos theory. Oh no, the, uh, the theorem, there's a famous theorem that was proved in the 1990s um, in mathematics, v- very abstract. Nobody cares about it, but it was, it was a video we were watching and they were talking about one of the mathematicians um, who helped lead to the breakthrough in the, the, the theorem. And th- they said about him, they said he made a lot of mistakes but he made interesting mistakes. Mm. So I think we always tend to think uh, the, the, the pattern that we always tend to have is I set a plan. I set a goal. I strive for the goal. I reach the goal. I complete the task and the whole thing is good. And the result is good. But this pattern is I set a goal. I have a desire. I have a task I want to complete. I set about doing it, but my desire actually takes me to a different goal that God had in mind, that got a plan that God had, 
but it's like, I, if I never set out, so it's like, it's like, it's like David set out for a journey and let's say you're going from Florida, to New York, and your goal is to go to New York city, but halfway up to Florida, God calls you and takes you to Nashville, something like that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what happened, right? It was, he had to set out on the journey, but then God directed him in a different way than what he expected, mm-hmm. which is hard for some people, right? Cause we set out on a journey. We set out on a goal. And we have to, we have our eyes fixed on it and we're, we have a fixed mindset, I think is what they sometimes refer to it as. Does that make sense? It does. And at this point, David had ar- was already successful and had already reached goals that God had put in front of him. So it was mm-hmm. kind of like he was looking for the next thing because every, he, there was peace on all sides, you know, yeah. and he was secure in his throne. And so he was kind of like, well, what, now what do I do? Oh, I'm going to do something great for God. And he, and the God was like, I will do something great for you. I still, I don't think he, I, yeah, I don't think he was wrong though. I mean, I think that's. I think, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that he was wrong. I'm just trying to say that God was like, what you want to do for God, God will reply and say, no, I want to do that for you. Yeah. Or you I, know, have something like, greater, I have something greater right, in mind. Something greater. Yeah. But not that that urge or that desire is bad. Right. Cause even Nathan in the beginning was like, go do, you know, God is with you. Exactly. Like, that's a great idea. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's not, it wasn't uh, a, a it's coming from a place of um, negativity Faith. or woundedness, woundedness or anything. It was coming from a place of like, I have everything I need and I just want to give more to God, which is yeah. great. Um, it's a great example. Right. And, and in the gospel will, will show the, you know, the fulfillment of, of establishing a house and, and an heir mm-hmm. and, and God will be the father to him and he shall be a son to me. You know, like this is all mm-hmm. because he said, I want to build you a house. This pr- prophecy came, you know, like, so it's good. So I, I, I don't, definitely don't mean it as bad. I'm just saying sometimes we want to do great things for God and God's just like, you need to wait a minute. <laughs> Pause. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely it's so, not so, in the place um talking about um building a house for god and uh the, i think i think this might be a good time to segue into a little bit uh a project that I've, I've i think i've talked with you about this before but let me let me flesh out the idea and then we can kind of talk about it i think it's connected with this idea of doing something beautiful for god is one of the the mistakes i think we've made the past 40 or 50 years actually it's close to 70 years now or 50 years because the 60s 60s on is people had this notion that poverty within the church meant that our churches should be as simple as possible with no costly art, no costly beauty. And so what's happened is you see it with like vestments, you see it with linens. A lot of these linens investments are basically mass produced in factories in like India and China or whatever. And, you know, it, I, I think we have to reevaluate first poverty what does simplicity really mean? Does simplicity mean doing things the cheapest way? Or is it, there's a simplicity and doing like craftsmanship, right? Like is the 50 cent bar of soap that's mass produced really better than the handcrafted soap that somebody makes? And I think we have to reevaluate in this light of craftsmanship. Um, I think that that craftsmanship type thing, and that, that's kind of a, a somewhat of a movement in the United States when it comes to goods. But also, I think, so one of the things that's happened the past year is I've always been careful asking the ladies of the parish to do a lot of linens and to do a lot for me in terms of sewing and stuff like that. Um, And I've I've, I've had ideas over the years, but I've always been cautious. But I think because of how I handled the lockdown, just my relationships, a lot of people got very deep and I just felt more comfortable asking them if they were willing to help me with this. And so I had one uh, friend of mine who made a linen alb and we're going to do white on white embroidery with it. And another woman's going to do that. Um, so it's, it's nice Irish linen. And then what got me thinking about linen was um, a woman had made some finger towels out of linen and, and we're making purificators and they're making me purificators, corporals and things like that. And, but the craftsmanship with it and the fact that it's, it's handmade, there's a labor of love there that, um, is more in line with this teaching than, than, than getting something mass produced out of a factory. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I want to, I want to try to bring, I want to try to create some video content around this idea and highlight some of these pieces. Cause like all my vestments and, um, and, but especially I'm about to get a vestment made in Belarus by, by nuns that work with the poor and they do a hospital and it's going to be like custom embroidery. It's going to be fantastic. Um, and, but I think the sense of beauty and craftsmanship in the liturgy, I think, I think we lost that in a, a sad way. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Well, yeah, because a lot of it is, well, it, whatever I'm done won't be seen or noticed. You know, and in in Europe and in Italy, like just every single detail is amazing, and it, and not and the people who really designed the the spaces of the churches and the basilicas, they didn't see the end. Like they died before it was finished. You know, and and every single detail that was put into it is beautiful. And I don't remember where the story came from, but it was a story about somebody who was working on like a little bird in a corner that like probably nobody would ever see. And somebody asked him like, why are you working so hard somewhere where it won't even, no one will care. And he says, I'm doing this for God and God cares. You know, it's like, like our effort and our actions that come from love that spring out of charity towards a creator is so much more important you know, to do with our time than, than mass produced, every, you know, of lower quality. That's not mass done out of gray, vague. Yeah. It's like, not done out of the charity for the Lord, right. To glorify God, to do for God's glory. It's like the McDonald's vacation of, of churches right. versus like a, a homemade meal. And, and I know there are some things to say for, the ability to mass produce things so that they can be, you know, used by the poor. Like there's lots of different reasons. But but there's actually, have you ever heard of poverty cure? Um, Did I tell you about this? I I gotta, I gotta get back on this train. I've, I've always wanted the poverty cure and Acton Institute has a great approach to poverty. One of the things they talk about in one of the examples they give is that right now, Africa in Latin America, the textile industries are being destroyed by mass-produced, cheap American goods. Mm. We're flooding their markets with free T-shirts that's just destroying their local economy. Mm. Like, and, and, and that's the thing is, is, I mean, I think it actually probably would be very good for Latin America and if they didn't have these mass-produced vestments mm-hmm. and they employed women to make vestments, like local women. And women taught learned how to learn how to sew and embroidery and stuff like that. And or then, men if they wanted to. Men used to be the tailors. Yeah. I mean, okay. In history. Yeah. 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 Tailors used so to either, be. Either way. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I know. I'm just throwing a wrench in here. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> um, but, but, um, but it's true. Like there, there are different, um, different reasons and and sometimes we can't always see the the end result of that mass production. Yeah. Have, have you heard the the private revelations of uh, Catherine Emmerich? I think the ones I think that the, the, the passion was based on. My sister, I think she read them, and she, I think some of the private revelations. Of course, they're private revelations, so take it with a grain of salt. Um, said that in the early church, like Mary um, and and then they would sew the vestments for the for the, the apostles. Mm-hmm. And that they were very elaborate with lots of embroidery and things like right. that. That's the, that's, that's the, cool. uh, I, mean, I just meant as a trade, yeah. as a trade. That well, tailors are a little bit tailors. different from embroidery too. Oh, yeah. And tailor. Yeah. It's, it's just a little bit different because mm-hmm. I mean, right now the men's shops and the tailors and the men's shops are, are men, but the, mm-hmm. um, okay. But, yeah. Um, tailor. Yeah. But, uh, but, this but just, the, the, just, I mean, I, I would be curious I, I think there's something to be said to that. I, I think this idea that, you know, they, they sat around a couch and shared the Eucharist. I mean, I think it's been widely debunked by, by uh, scholarship, but also I think it's just, it's like, you, you can't, if you read Leviticus and I've, I've told you about, I've been praying a lot with Leviticus and just, I go back through the old Testament. I'm trying to understand a sense of justice um, in our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. 
and part of justice and piety, it's funny, by the way, I was, I was talking with a brother priest. I forgot in priest circles, um, the word piety is considered a bad word almost like, cause I was, I was said to a friend of mine, I said, well, you know, it's just good to hear good pious uh, preaching. And the guy was like, what do you, why are you calling my preaching pious? I'm like, Oh, Oh, sorry. Sorry. I forgot. You don't think of that as a good word, but it's just kind of interesting. It's a gift of the Holy spirit. I know that too. <laughs> that too. But I mean, why would that be, mm, well, it's, it's, it's part of the inside inside culture. Maybe I shouldn't talk about this publicly, but, um, but it's just the, this view that you shouldn't be overly pious. I mean, I get it. There's an exaggerated piety. Answer. Yeah, there's a, there, there's That's an answer. exaggerated piety. But I mean, generally speaking, I, I've had very little issue. I've had like a like only, a, only, a pridefulness, only, a piety that equals pridefulness. Yeah, of course. Or just or just kind of weird. Now, like we have this one woman. Everybody knows her. We love her dearly. She's very mentally handicapped in our parish, and. um Man, she she gets down on her knees after receiving communion, and she's signing herself a hundred times. She's got a veil on. She's got like thirty medals. It's great. I mean, it doesn't bother me. But the the weird thing is, I I didn't know this. She came when I came, so everybody was like looking to me because she was new when I was new, and I thought she'd been there for years. And I just I've just gently I don't care what she does. And so that's kind of like she'll walk around and like she'll be kneeling in front of the altar with her hands up like throughout communion. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I would rather have somebody who's mentally hand- handicapped be pious than impious. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I feel like that's that's a great like devotion to yeah, it's a great witness. Yeah. 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 That that you know maybe she's not hasn't got it all there, but her heart is in the right place. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, and her and her and her piety helped me get through some things early on in the assignment. That's, just that's great. Um, yeah, it just helped me kind of reflect on some things. And it was four years ago now. Um, yeah, but well, that's um, be- that's beautiful because you know like sometimes it's hard to deal with people who are different. You know, yeah. but but to be able to see them in that light is is awesome. You ready for a second? Yeah, I, um, yeah. Actually, I would say that that kind of thing, special needs doesn't bother me as much. I'm trying to think what really, what really, the only thing that really bothers me. Here we go. Ready. Is, is when um, I, it's been really striking when people who disagree with something I've said, they just straight up disagree with the saints. Like they say, we shouldn't do this. I'm like, Saints say the opposite. And it's not like, uh, well, the tone with which you said or whatever, when mm-hmm. they speak against the saints, that mm-hmm. gets me a little, that gets me a little fired yeah. up. That's a trigger for Father Ian. Yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right, let's get into the next reading. All right. From Romans. Brothers and sisters, to him who can strengthen you, according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret for long ages, but now manifested through the prophetic writings and according to the command of the eternal God made known to all nations to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So, so, so you want me to bust out a little philosophy, how it relates to this? Sure. So I'm, I'm reading, I, I kind of read, I do something that I would never recommend and I don't really care what anybody thinks. I read like 30 books at once. I just pick up books. I'll read it for three pages and think about it and then set it down and not look at it again for months. Um, so this is I, why we're friends. <laughs> I, mean, I, I run I out of bookmarks, man. I run out of bookmarks. Oh, I just fold the pages or just put a piece of paper and stuff. Yeah. So, um, but anyways, yeah. So I, mean, I got books lying around my whole apartment. So anyways, uh, Heidegger, Foucault, and some of these really deep theologians, not theologians, uh, philosophers who are profoundly anti-Christian. One of the, the key things of phenomenology and all these different things is this sense of revelation. How does a thing reveal itself? How does the truth reveal itself? It's a subsection. And I, I don't want to, I, somebody might say, Father, you're, 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 you're not understanding them properly. Trust me, I could flesh it out. It would take me maybe 100 pages, and I would get all the nuances and all that. But for the sake of one of the, the challenges of, of modernity and modern philosophy, how does, how does truth reveal itself? How do we know the inner essence of truth? How do we know the inner light of truth? 
How do we know the inner life of another person or, or things or reality? Um, because it's an interesting dynamic with revelation. Um, like for the, for example, with a person, if a person doesn't talk to you and doesn't say anything, you don't know anything about them to know somebody. They have to reveal what's inside mm-hmm. and the same with God for God, to, for us to know God outside of his perfections, to know him in his, his inner life. He had to reveal it. He had to like a person reveals himself. Mm-hmm. And this is at the essence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. He reveals, but, but it's really a fascinating dynamic because if you don't, if you don't hold in a belief in God, it, it is amazing what happens with modern philosophy. The atheists, like uh, the atheists really don't appreciate this, that reality doesn't have a solid grounding unless there's a God. Um, it's hard to explain, but if you really, the more you get into philosophy, that is the fundamental challenge of all philosophy Um, Modern philosophy is they're trying to find something to ground everything in. That's not God. And it just, it it never, it never works. It never solves the problem. Mm -hmm. Each philosopher makes an attempt. They make some interesting, neat distinctions, um, but they never, they never establish a new God. It's never definitive. Each philosopher kind of, I mean, they build on each other a little bit and they're in communication with each other but they never arrive at what they're seeking. And it's not even clear what they're seeking mm-hmm. outside of it. It seems like they're trying to seek, they're trying to seek faith without God. They're trying to seek a foundation. That's not God. Mm-hmm. And um, trying, to, trying to seek happiness without, without God. I don't even know if they would call it happiness. It's more like enlightenment. It's more closer to akin to an enlightenment, which is more related with truth. Happiness is more like um, an attainment of, of a good. So if you're, if you're in Aquinas's thought, so what happiness was an attainment of virtue. Virtue is a habit that disposes you towards the good virtues are habits. Right. Okay. So I think, or, well, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe there's a definition of that, but, mm-hmm. but I mean, the virtuous life leads to happiness, but normally like joy is resting in a good that you've attained. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a delight in attaining to the truth, but I don't, just with you, when you read and you read their lives like Foucault and Derrida and all of them, Heidegger, it's not even clear that they, they want to be happy. It's like, it's more, it's more that they want to know. They want to know and understand. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there's well, a little bit of difference. They, they want to know like, what is the truth, but they don't understand that seeking the truth is seeking the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, they, I, mean, they know, I mean, they know Christian philosophy enough. I mean, they know Aquinas and I mean, these, these aren't, they, they, they would know theistic philosophy to some degree, but it's, they almost see it, I think is kind of a naive that that's what we told ourselves before we were more enlightened and more mature. Mm-hmm. But it's very close to, are you, have you ever looked at Buddhism or Hinduism at all? Like the Eastern mystics? One of the things that really separates the Hindu and the Buddhists which is very similar to postmodernism and modernism. In fact, I was uh, there was this, I was in a list for a while with a bunch of professors who are postmodern philosophers and poets and artists, and one of them said that he met the Dalai Lama and he was talking to him about postmodernism, and the Dalai Lama said, "Oh yes, we went through this uh, five hundred a thousand years ago," and I didn't know what he meant until recently. Which was what it is is the the fundamental quality of of modern philosophy is turning in on oneself for truth. And this is kind of what Buddhism does. And this is kind of what the Hindu mystics do. You search within your experience and within your interior life for enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And they understand this enlightenment to be higher than joy and pleasure and happiness as understood on a kind of animal level. Mm-hmm. That is a kind of deeper stillness, a deeper enlightenment that goes beyond the surface. Um, and there's a lot of parallels in the Indian philosophers with the quest of modern postmodernism. Mm-hmm. But uh, we just, that's not what we believe. I mean, in revelation, I yeah. revelation comes, doesn't come from within. It comes from God. Yeah. I mean, it sheds a light within. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. But, um, well, that's kind of the interesting dynamic is the mystical quest, right? The kingdom of God is within you. Mm-hmm. 
it's, you know, it's, this is uh, Augustine put it so well, you are, you are nearer to us than our own thoughts and you are greater than all of our, like, I forget how he put it, but it's like, you're greater than all things, but yet you're more intimate to us than our own thoughts. Um, yeah. But we would have never have discovered the, like the idea of the Trinity or Jesus exactly. Christ without him coming and revealing himself to us, which is hugely different in exactly of how we live our lives. In. And in a certain sense, we break through the veil and he reveals to us his postmodernism, modernism and Buddhist philosophy. It all is within the realm of what human reason can attain on its own. Um, and but I mean, obviously we, be, we believe in, you know, like interior life and, and the interior castle and all that, but not, that's not like where we find all the things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think. Cause we have scripture and we have tradition and, you know, those are all exterior to, to ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, which we do the work on the interior with those ex, you know, like with that revelation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. a, you know, it's kind of complex sometimes. I mean, yeah, absolutely. With, that nobody's chatting oh, do, today. Nobody, you know, no, so, is anybody no. watching? Are you guys out there? Let's see. There's some people. Chat. Yeah, there are people. Good so, um, and I, I chatted out the, um, the healthy minds link to, so you guys can come join us on mm-hmm. healthy minds. Um, and I can start the gospel. Oh yeah. And just to mention for healthy minds, if you're signing up, we are going to be looking at doing a $5 subscription. If you can't do that, let us know. Um, we'll figure out how we're going to word that when we do it. Um, we've kind of started a little bit more spontaneously with healthy minds, but I think we're, we're on to something good. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And so um, we're, we're going to be giving people good resources and just help helping them stay motivated and praying. And it's kind of connected with this retreat I was leading on uh, Saturday it was, uh, you know, a big thing right now is I, I'm at a point where um, me and some folks around me and yourself included, we just, we know how to teach people how to pray and we know how to teach how people to go deeper. And it's just exciting. Um I did an assessment and I had the, the men felt the assessment. We sat down, we walked through the assessment, talked about some goals about where they need to go, what they need to consider. Um, and it was just, it's, it's like all becoming a system in my head. And that's just mm-hmm. a really good feeling right now yeah. that we're, we're, it's like training, mm-hmm. training for holiness. And it's this. where you can, it's where you can find us and ask questions and really like, it's a place where we want, people to be able to communicate yeah. with us and stuff like that. So. And the advantage will be long-term as we really get it hopping is if you go on Facebook right now, you might see us one among a hundred things, but mm-hmm. if you're going to go to healthy mind, you're going to see a lot of good content and it's going to be right. all oriented around your spiritual life. So especially if you're taking a social media fast, also we got to look at, we're going to try to do emails and stuff like that because some people are, are moving away from social media, but obviously if you're listening to this, you haven't done that. Yeah. I think everybody has to discern a little bit their own case. I love social media personally. I'm on it constantly and I have no problem with it. You know, yeah. I don't feel that it's a waste of my time. I think I find it very enriching. Yeah. Yeah. Even Facebook, even Twitter. I, I, I feel better about myself at Twitter. Cause I, I judge everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, man, they are jerks. <laughs> I was, I, I'm still for the, I, I, I check Facebook like once a week. But I have found with all of the everyone's emotional posting that I just take in e- information easier when I when people are strangers. I'm like, oh, that happened, and I don't have to emotionally process like the lens that I feel like this person is coming through. You know what I mean? Or like, where I where do I stand now with this person? If we disagree, like it feels like that's a process that's happening now, where it's like, am I their friend anymore? If we disagree, you know what I mean? I'm like, I don't want to deal with any of that drama. I just can't do it right now. So I'm not on Facebook because I don't want to process other people's emotions. That's what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, what my job is like a majority of my job is processing other people's emotions. Yeah. <laughs> it's not but, my I mean, job. <laughs> but, but I like, I mean, I like, I mean, but I also, it's funny. I, I mean, I had somebody blocking. Did I tell you about this? 
I had somebody block me because I was getting into it with them about something um, about the death penalty stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, it's crazy how, um, one, uh, yeah, it's amazing how people don't have the ability to like read, understand, comprehend, and have like reasonable discussion. Um, cause I mean, I, I was like, when they, they blocked me and, and people were, were like saying like terrible things about me, I was like, like, luckily my, one of my good friends who's in ministry, like saw the whole thread and they saw me get blocked and everything. And I was like, dude, was I being unreasonable? He's like, no, actually. I mean, the only thing I might've done is I might've had a few too many comments and I might've been a little bit snarky when I said to somebody, have you read the Bible? That's all I said though. I said, have you read the Bible? Cause they were, you know, I was like, uh, they were, cause they were saying, would Jesus execute anyone? And the answer is the final judgment. Yes. He's going to, he's going to do a lot of executing. He's going to do a lot of punishing. I mean, I know you can be, agree with Von Balthasar. I know that. No, yes. I'm, I'm not. That's not my face of disagreeing with you. No, no, I know. No, I'm talking, oh, I'm talking okay. about you. I'm talking about the whole, the whole, oh, world, okay. the whole world. The, I mean, you might, you the, can hold not the view, me, but, me. Okay. Yeah. You, you can said hold, you, I was like, ah, yeah, you as in the general you, um, you can hold the view of Umbalthasar that God doesn't punish sins, but you can also hold the view that God does punish sins. And in fact, Jesus will punish sins at the end of time. And I think we're in agreement that that's the position we hold, right? God's going to punish with the sword of his mouth, as it says. The divine comedy is one of my favorite books. Okay. Exactly. Divine so comedy. that's where I'm at. But see, you know, I've talked to you this about this is if you're talking with somebody who's been profoundly hurt, and like if like if you're talking with people who are in concentration camps and you'd say, even though it may not appear it, God will avenge what has happened to you. That is a consolation for the oppressed and those in the margins of society that God will conquer the evil that has been done to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's I, I think that's not I think it's a very consoling thought. But anyways, yeah. I digress. Let's get into the gospel. It has nothing to do with the gospel. Progression. All right. We, we rabbit hold a little bit. It's fine. We have plenty of time. Yeah, we got so, the gospel is from Luke. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, hail full of grace. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this, at what was said, and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall, be, you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and we will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him a throne, the throne of David his father. And he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no relations with a man? And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Okay. That is the full gospel. Got anything? Got a direction? (laughs) Um, you know, I got like three things up my sleeve. I, I know you do. Um, I, of course, this is like one of our favorites for Christmas and for, um, you know, Mary's fiat. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to, I'm just super, one of the things I want to say I'm super excited for is the year of St. Joseph. Super excited. Cool. Um, I really think that it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, but what do you want to go with? Where, where do you want to go with this? Um, we can, we can put it in line with the first reading. If you want, you want to relate it to the. Actually, I was kind of thinking the question thing. I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about this before. Have you you ever heard me talk about the question thing? 
the question of Mary, how, how Mary asked the question with Zachariah. Zachariah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you've, you've, you've probably heard reflections on this, but it's fascinating. So the way I would put it is with your kids, right? There's a genuine question and there's a question that's challenging your authority. Well, why do we have to do that? Okay. Because I say so. Yeah. Right. Um, but then there's a, Oh, but why do I need to do, well, you know, there's like a question that's like an opening to an answer. Mm -hmm. um, and I often say one of my biggest concerns with young people is not that they ask tough questions. They just don't look for good answers. I remember I, I, I had one assignment, this family, and I will bet money. If I had to bet money, the parents are still probably practicing the faith, mm -hmm. but their teenage daughter is definitely not practicing the faith anymore. She's probably in her mid twenties. If I had to bet you money, she's probably living with a boyfriend and not practicing the faith. I mean, not to be critical, but that's just, that's the way these things go. And her mom was very proud and said, well, she doesn't just accept all these things of faith. And I said, well, she has questions. She can talk to me. I'm a seminarian. And they never took me up on that. I was like, they didn't want answers. They were just proud that she would ask questions. I'm like, I'm like, um, mm. yeah. So to think for yourself, but right. But the thing there's is, a, there's a type of questioning that leads to curiosity, which is which is a motivator to find answers. And then there's the type of questioning that leads people into the t this type of like, oh well, I don't know. And then they don't ask, don't actually find the question because it's more comfortable to be like, well, I don't know. Oh well. And then they don't have to like learn yeah. the hard things and feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So, and, and I think it's a hubris of young people that they think that they think of themselves as being very original. It's very hard to be original, sure. very hard. And like when you have this 16 year old and like they ask a question, like I just thought of this brilliant thing that you'll never have thought of, you know, I'm like I, I, I'm not being critical. This is a part of the discovery process. I'm being a little bit sarcastic. Forgive me. I do love questions. I love people asking questions. I love working with young people. Like there was this young one, young woman who said on TikTok, she tagged me on TikTok and she was like, it says that Jesus had brothers and sisters in the Bible. So how do the Catholics believe in the virgin birth? And it's like, now I want you to stop for a second. Our religion has been around for 2000 years. We have been continuously pondering this book for 2000 years. Do you think you're honestly the first person to ask that question? Just, just throw it out there. Like, do you, Did you is that how you responded? No, no, I'm not going to respond that way. <laughs> Okay. I, I'm only being that way right now because, but th this is one of the challenges. It's like, I, I would say to anybody, um, I would be hard pressed. Um, to there find are a new, a new heresy. Cause it's all just heresy. like a regurgitation of old heresies. Yeah. Kind of in a, in different words. Yeah. But, but it's funny because, Young people do not have this hubris when it comes to biology and medicine or when it comes to other fields. It's, it's, I think a part of it is the way we train people where it's all your feelings. I think that's part of the, the faith formation when it's all about your feelings. And they're like, well, they, they haven't really thought this through. I think that's what I think what young people, the impression young people get when they go through faith formation is these people, they, they really don't have, they haven't really thought this whole thing through. And right. I'm discovering this for the first time. I'm discovering these loopholes. Does that make sense? And yeah. And they're told that, oh, well, Catholics don't read the Bible. So let me catch them with something that's in the Bible and they maybe they'll be caught off guard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yep. I'm, you know, we act, there's an answer. So. In fact, we, we probably have thousands of saints who have written on that one question over mm -hmm. and over again in a hundred different ways. Yeah. But it's, it's, I think that's been, um, I don't, I don't get a sense that I, I think it's also been my formation of the parish when you start quoting the, um, cause I, one of my apologetics things I do is I talk about the historical sources. I mean, did I, did I, did I tell you about this? Uh, I should pull it up. There's this, um, the post, the anti-Nicene fathers and post-Nicene fathers. It's a collection of all the writings, that I think I think it's a majority of the writings that are available in English. Mm -hmm. It's a translation. Mm -hmm. And I tell people, I'm like, I'm like, on my phone is close to a million words, a thousand different documents of all of the early Christians from immediately after the apostles through like Augustine for like 300 years. 
And like, it's not a mystery what people believed back then. We, we know, I mean, we know a heck of a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. it all points to guess what? Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> what we believe. Capital T yeah. tradition. Yeah. yeah. Now you have to wade through it. I mean, it's not all, it's not all put in a linear fashion to, to, um, right. to refute Protestants, but, um, but yeah, that's. Um, and, and okay. So going back to the, like the, the two questions and, and, and looking, how can this be since I have no relations with a man? So oh, by the way, by the way, going back to questions, one thing I mm-hmm. want to, um, if you ever are talking with a professor, somebody educated, if you can ask a good question, Mm-hmm. then you are like, I found that you win so much respect and the ability to ask a good question. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in terms of, I think sometimes it's hard for us to want to ask God questions. I think that, that there was courage in my personal opinion, there's courage in this to say, Oh yeah how how is this going to happen because you know zachariah said how and he got punished (laughs) you know he went mute until john was born until they named john Mm. um and it's really in our attitude it's really in our approach and our response to god because i believe that this can happen can you show me like how am I supposed to resp- how how am I supposed to respond to this grace is better than I don't believe because this evidence you know what I mean like I'm challenging you with this dis- you, you know, tell I'm me gonna, how because I don't believe I'm, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go on a limb here and uh, criticize a trend I I know some of the people I care about some people who are popular that I've gotten to know they do this and. I think there's a way of balancing it. I'll preface that. I don't think they're completely wrong. But if you read the saints, St. Ignatius talks about this in the exercises, other saints talk about in their writings. Piety and the fear of the Lord is a sense of the sacred. And then when you enter into the presence of the Lord in prayer, that there's a kind of, it's, it's not a kind of familiarity. And I know I'm not always the best at this with sacred spaces, but there's this idea of a kind of hushed, a kind of reverence in the, uh, in the midst of the sacred. And the, and the Jews had this for the temple, right? And I think this prepares your heart to be humble when you ask the question. I think the Blessed Virgin Mary's heart was so attuned to this, the sense of the reverence, the wonder and awe, the fear of the Lord. Whereas Zachariah, maybe he was a little too casual or he was a little too cavalier and how he asked. Um, and, and I know, cause sometimes right now the trend is, you know, talk to God, like you would talk to a friend, which actually the saints kind of say, but kind of don't. They, I mean, actually St. Ignatius says in the exercises that when you address the, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit, you should address them as if you were addressing a King with great reverence and with great attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the ancient world, when you enter the presence of the king, you would often prostrate yourself and lower yourself and say, you know, have mercy. I don't know if you'd say have mercy, but the idea was to, to plead the mercy of the ruler, that, that the ruler was you, you had a reverence for him. And right now, the trend in our relationships with God is is to treat the sacred kind of like it's uh, it's familiar and I, I mean, I don't think I don't think that that's completely wrong. I don't see. I don't know how to balance it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You see the tension? Yeah. Um, there's somebody with a, a related question, so maybe this will help move our move the conversation into in a similar direction. Uh, he says Mary's question versus Zachariah's question. I think the age that age and status must have contributed to the response and reaction that both got Mary young virgin asked because she did not understand. Zechariah has no reason to ask that question, given his experience of God, his status and someone who serves at the temple that his faith should not have made him to believe without his faith should have made him to believe without a doubt. So and he said a, a priest friend explained that to him. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that is an interesting pr- perspective 
Um, yeah. We'll see. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I don't, I don't. I don't know how to really add to that, but I think that there's definitely like she. They both had well, here's evidence. A, here's a question to, to say. Her. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one time, um, I got. I got to figure out how to say this without giving away who it was and what the context was. There were um, there were some seminarians in a situation. Not my bishop. Not my seminarians I was friends with, but it was related to me by secondhand that the seminarians were in the presence of their Bishop and the way they were talking to him, they were just a little too familiar. Like they were just, mm-hmm. they were just, they, they, they didn't have that sense of respect and reverence um, mm-hmm. for their leader. Um, and, and that's an idea in the army that, you know, they call it fraternization, right? Like mm-hmm. that the leaders should be careful in how they fraternize Mm-hmm. with subordinates. Um, yeah. But a lot of it's to create those, those boundaries, which is what a big part of the old Testament with the sacred, right? I mean, and then the Holy of Holies, it was to create those boundaries to separate the sacred from the everyday. Now, some people say, Oh, we shouldn't do that. There shouldn't be no separation. That's not true. There really should be. Um, yeah. You mm-hmm. should. Yeah. I mean, that's why things are, made whole like set aside for sacred use because there should be boundaries in in terms of what we understand the difference in the use of things right like things are are consecrated Mm. for the use for the worship of god right for the for the glorification of god like the second reading um because we understand those boundaries but when we don't understand those boundaries that's when you know desecration yeah, that's that's the, the essence of desecration, right. understanding the proper boundaries, using things that are sacred for profane use. Yeah. Um, which. Um, or treating leadership in ways that are is inappropriate. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, it's fascinating. That that dynamic. Because I, I know we've we all fall in those mistakes, but I, I'd be curious in your resiliency training. This is something to consider: is when people don't want good boundaries and they don't respect boundaries, it's such a huge red red flag. I remember once, actually, this person quickly stopped meeting with me after this. I met with him once. It was a, it was a Zoom video call, and the person said to me, "They said, well, tell me about yourself. You know, let's be friends." I said, "Actually, that's not this relationship." I said, mm-hmm. I'm here to serve you. Mm-hmm. I'm here to help you, but we're not friends. Yeah. And and I, I do think that that's hard because a lot of people don't understand like a the relationship of friendship versus a relationship of like spiritual fatherhood and spiritual leadership. Yeah. Um, and and they feel like they can't come out to somebody that they don't like they feel like friendship equals I can trust you. You know, they misunderstand those boundaries. So they feel like, oh, I must need to know something about you so then I can re- reveal myself. So it's it's definitely a misunderstanding and a, of of boundaries and a misunderstanding of relationships in general. Um, and who can they trust? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and a lot of times it's tied with mental health issues. It's tied mm-hmm. with... There's a lot of wounds there. Yeah, exactly. Bad relationships with their parents, so on and so yeah. forth. Yeah, like I need to know something about you so I can tell you something about me. And and that's, you know, that maybe another red flag of yeah. I don't know how to reveal myself in this or make myself vulnerable in this situation, yeah. you know? So they don't even know how, to, like. They don't understand roles, like. Right. In, but it's like, it's, it's even before a boundary because if they don't understand the relationship and how that works, then you can't even have a boundary there because they don't, there's no boundary to have because they don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I ever told you this. So it's a funny dynamic. This parish has really solidified it for me. I love my parishioners dearly and, um, but I'm not their friends. Like, and it's not even, it's not even because I think I'm better than them. It's like, Everybody in my life in the local parish, all my parishioners recognize that I have a certain role in their life and they want me to fulfill that role. Even people I care about, they care about me, 
but it's like, I have a certain role to play. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny because I, I feel really connected with the people. I don't feel distant from them, but it's like, there was a, there's a, a way I'd put it was, um, there was a Dominican priest who was new to a diocese. I don't know what diocese. I don't even know who he was. I just heard this story anecdotally. And he said, he said, whenever I come new to a diocese as, as a Dominican priest, he said, I have a choice with the local clergy. I can either be their friend or I can be their spiritual director and like spiritual help. He said, I can't do both. So I have to choose which one I'm going to do. Yeah. 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 But, and, and one of the things that, cause I've been in that situation too, where the person was like, I can't be your friend. And I was like, Oh, so I had to make a decision. Would I, do I want to be this person's friend or do I need a spiritual director? Yeah. Because that, you know, it's like, okay. Yeah. It's hard. It's, I mean, that's a hard, it's, it's not like that's an easy thing to think about because like you, like somebody like you, it's like, you seem fun and you know things. So it's like, I, I want to have friendship, you know, with this person or this person can help me spiritually. And well, I mean, it's hard. You, the only thing it's a matter of like, it's not like I create boundaries where I won't spend time with people. Like right. I mean, I'll get, I'll get a beer with people. I'll, I'll like, I'll socialize with them, mm-hmm. but certain topics everybody implicitly knows are off top or off. I mean, things that like I might talk with mm-hmm. you a little more about, or I might talk like off air with John mm-hmm. D'Amelio about, or Tim about my close mm-hmm. collaborators, my kind of inner circle and my sister and stuff like that. And my brother priest, um, like my relationship with the Bishop, mm-hmm. my relationship with Pope Francis. What do I think about politics, especially the politics stuff? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, a few of my pressures know a little bit how I view and things, but I do try to make those boundaries a little bit better. Yeah. Um, where, and that's health and that's just what's healthy. It's just hard because our culture is like to be liked means to be my friend. Yeah. You know, and it's like to care about me means to be my friend. Um, so the, understanding the relationships and how how spiritual direction relationships even work um that that's probably it's just for people who are new to those types of relationships like don't understand that at all yeah um and it's just a new concept for them to even to have boundaries around you know yeah or they don't even have anybody else in their life who communicates boundaries so they're also like oh you rejected me. It's like, no, it's not a rejection. Yeah. We just don't talk about boundaries. So yeah. I have one more comment. Ryan Fisher says, sorry, gang, time got away from me and forgot about liturgy live at three Eastern. I apologize. On this day, three years ago, I was confirmed under the name St. Joseph. I look forward to the year of St. Joseph and how I can continue to grow with you as spiritual father and friend. <laughs> Thank you for all you do. All right. Thanks, Thanks Ryan for joining. Thanks Ryan. St. Joseph is awesome. I agree. Yeah. I feel okay. So I'm gonna make a little bit of a confession. Oh goodness. I can't absolve you, but go ahead. I, I, I don't <laughs> get excited about the themed years. Oh, I never have. I came back to the church in the year of, <laughs> in the year of faith. I can't. So that was my reversion year. What's the year of faith? Yeah. And my I've never, conversion. I've never gotten excited about the themes or. I'm uh, excited because. The consecration of St. Joseph was awesome. Yeah. That's one of, everyone's like, what happened in 2020? I I was like, I don't want to, I would never, I would never discourage. I just, I I get more excited about reading philosophy and St. Thomas Aquinas. Well, what if the year was like, we're going to focus on hell. You'd be like, yes. (laughs) Like Um, preaching on heaven and hell. The four last things. You'd be excited about it. Yeah, actually I probably would be. I know you. This is why we're friends. Okay. <laughs> your, your divine justice. Have you seen that Babylon B article? It was hilarious. No. Oh Pope God. Francis, because the divine mercy, uh, because the year of mercy did not work, he instituted the year of divine justice. <laughs> <gasps> That's hilarious. And you're like, I am here for this. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay. But all right, let's pray. Yeah. All right. May the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, we pray for all who will watch or listen to this. We pray for our family and our friends. Uh, we pray for our country in the midst of so much chaos and confusion. We pray that 
You may enlighten our leaders. You may enlighten our people with the truth. Um, also, we, we, we pray as we approach the Christmas season that Christ may be born in our hearts anew, that this season, even in the midst of so much darkness, may be a sign of hope, that, but also teach us to be courageous in these dark times. I think we need to speak more about that, Lord, that just the sense of persevering, of being willing to endure evil and willing to confront evil and willing to endure it. Um, give us strength in these dark times. We ask you to bless all who will watch or listen to this. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father. Have a great week, everybody. So take me to the fountain by Isaac. It's welling up, it's welling up in me. me. Finding someone on an online Catholic dating site shouldn't be like shopping for a blender. So why do most dating sites leave you feeling like you're shopping for a spouse? At Catholic Singles, we connect members through our unique user polls and activities, which help you discover other members and their personalities and interests. Because you're a person, not a profile picture. So stop shopping and start discerning. Trust your love story to the original Catholic dating site and use the promo code BREADBOX at checkout for 20% off at CatholicSingles.com.